peace be died. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands and the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Hap. Good morning, everybody. Dee mentioned that I teach a uh, Sunday school class here. I do, and um, it's had three teachers in its entire 30-some years. Uh, Dana Walling and I, some of you remember him, Dana Walling and I started as the kind of team teachers for that class, and then um, uh, Dana went away, and then, uh, and then I went away to grad school, and the third, so the only the third person who has ever taught that class was somebody who was here in town when he was going to grad school in San Diego, and that was Dee Kelly. So pretty much uh, we're all, most of us anyway, uh, still among you. So a year and a half ago, I was with more than 100,000 people in St. Peter's Square for the canonization of Mother Teresa. Um, a friend of mine, Gary Morse, some of you know, was a friend of Mother Teresa's. Um, he had been uh, invited by the Sisters of Charity in Calcutta uh, to come to the canonization ceremonies and all the celebrations that went along with that. And they sent him two uh, invitations to, uh, to all of this in Rome. And so I was Gary's plus one. And, um, <clears throat> and so then I contacted some magazines uh, that I write for, and then I got media credentials uh, through the Vatican. So I got to show you, um, here's where the media, where the Vatican had the news media. I was way up there. So I don't know if I'm blessing the crowd. I don't know what I'm doing there, but... Um, that's about, as, uh, that's about as close. There's a couple of other reporters over there. And then I don't know who these guys are. But um, <coughs> they, seemed, uh, uh, they seemed fairly without personality. But they, um, so I, I, then after that, I thought, well, that's, that's way too far away. And uh, so after the mass on Saturday, I got a little closer to the action here. And then looks like I'm wearing the exact same outfit. <laughs> It was a long flight, and I believe I have laundered this since then, but 
then for the, uh, the actual sainthood uh, ceremony, the mass the next day, I ended up in the front row with the uh, Sisters of Charity. I was able to uh, elbow my way into the front, into the front row there uh, to get preferred seating. You gotta love the news media. Um, and, then, um, and then here, uh, after that was, uh, was all done, oh no, I gotta show you a, uh, uh, this is the, a banner of Mother Teresa that they had at the, at the front. Just beautiful, nobody does pageantry like, uh, like Rome. And, um, and then after the mass was over, uh, Pope Francis came down and uh, got a little closer. I don't know why, we gotta move this uh, to the next, what am I, there we are. Oh, sorry, there we are, got it. So Pope Francis came down and he and I got to exchange those hand signals that only a few of us know, and so there we are. <coughs> So um, we can, yeah, you can take that. Yeah, thank you. <coughs> uh, so here's, in, in, in preparation for doing the stories that I, that I did for these magazines about this, uh, about this event, I read a lot about Mother Teresa. Um, we all know her for her tireless service uh, to the poor in Calcutta. We know her for the inspiration that she is to be the hands and feet of Jesus, particularly for those who have no one else. Uh, I also read a lot of criticism about her, and there really is a lot of it. But in all the reading that I did about her, one thing drew me to her more than anything else. It wasn't her service, although that was impressive. Uh, it wasn't her advocacy for the poor and her courage to confront powerful people although that was also remarkable. Um, it wasn't even her vow of poverty and solidarity with those who can't defend themselves, although that was inspiring. Like everyone else, I was moved by her compassion and her courage. But what drew me to her was her doubt, her lack of certainty. Here is a woman who sensed that it was Jesus in the street when she encountered a dying man and she spent the rest of her life serving the dying and the destitute, serving the poorest of the poor, wishing she could get a direct sign from God, a sense that she was doing his will, wondering if she was following God's vocational call on her at all. Deep down inside, she was experiencing the absence of God. She just didn't feel his presence. She hid these doubts to everyone except for her spiritual advisors. She wrote them letters where she repeatedly confessed her doubts and her experience of this absence of God. The advisors saved those letters and they were published 10 years after her death in a book called Come Be My Light. For most of her adult life, she experienced an absence of God, a silence that created what she called such a dark, terrible, a, a terrible darkness within me. And she wrote, everything within me is icy cold. And if you, and she also wrote, and if you only know what goes on within my heart, sometimes the pain is so great that I feel as if everything will break.
The smile is a big cloak which covers a multitude of pain. Peter Rollins, in his book, Insurrection, to Believe as Human, to Doubt Divine, said that Mother Teresa was able to believe in God with her intellect, but Rollins said she passed through the white-hot fires of forsakenness. She is, Rollins wrote, as such a shining example of what it means to enter into the fundamental Christian events of crucifixion. Now, Mother Teresa accomplished a great deal in her lifetime. She motivated thousands to serve others. She won a Nobel Peace Prize. She helped create chapters of the Missionaries of Charity in 139 countries. More than 4,500 people have taken missionaries' vows of service to the poorest of the poor. They serve people dying of HIV, AIDS, leprosy, tuberculosis. They run soup kitchens, dispensaries, mobile clinics, orphanages and schools. People in our own congregation have worked alongside her, been inspired by her, and even received a blessing from her. And yet, she was a world-class doubter. Which brings me to today's scripture that Andrew read. Jesus singles out Thomas and says, look here, and Thomas sees what he needs to see, and then he believes, and Jesus picks up on this. And he says, because you have seen me, you have found faith. Blessed are those who never saw me and found faith. There's another great scene after the resurrection that's at the end of the, chapter, uh, end of, uh, the, the gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, where the disciples are gathered on a mountain and Jesus appears among them. Verse 17 says, when they saw him, they fell prostrate before him, though some were doubtful. Just, just think of that juxtaposition. They are falling in front of the resurrected Lord, though some of them were doubtful. I love it. Jesus came up to and spoke to them and said, full authority I give uh, 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 in heaven on earth has been committed to me. Go forth, therefore, and make all nations my disciples, baptize people everywhere in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And be assured, I am with you always to the end of time. I love what Jesus doesn't say here. He doesn't say, when you no longer doubt, go make disciples. Even the doubters are part of the kingdom. Even the doubters are part of the mission of bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. Now, just a couple of thoughts here. Let's, uh, let's not do that yet. There we are. A couple of thoughts about doubt, and then let's get back to how people experience Jesus uh, after the resurrection. In Jennifer Hecht's book, Doubt, A History, she says, when Jesus proclaims from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? She says, it sounds like he was expecting something that did not seem to be happening. I don't know about you but that describes a pretty good portion of my life. From childhood to the present, I thought it was going to be like this, but it wasn't. I thought God or my faith or my life was going to be this way, but that's not how it turned out at all. Paul Tillich, 
Here we go. Let's get another one in here. There, there we are. Paul Tillich said, doubt is not the opposite of faith. Doubt is an element of faith. Anne Lamott takes it a step further in her book, Plan B, and she says, the opposite of faith is not doubt, but certainty. Certainty is missing the point entirely. Faith includes noticing the mess, the emptiness and discomfort, and letting it be there until the light returns. Or how about this Zen thought? Great doubt, great awakening. Little doubt, little awakening. So now back to the places where people encountered the living God after he had been crucified, dead, and buried. The disciples gathered, and they were full of fear and doubt. They had expected things to be a particular way. And that's not what happened at all. They thought they were going to be put back in charge. Then their leader got executed. Now they were going to pay the price for following him. They obviously got their signals wrong. Fear and doubt had replaced their certainty. I would imagine some were angry. And why wouldn't they be? They believed, and then they had the rug pulled out from under them. It was that great prophetic voice of the eagles, John Henley, who wrote, they say that anger, ah, let's have it. They say that anger is just love disappointed. Of course they were disappointed and a little embarrassed and angry. They fell for it and they got burned. Many of us know what this feels like. Many of us have followed leaders and felt betrayed, duped, and just plain stupid for believing what they told us to believe in, for believing in that person, only to discover that it was all a crock. That person we were following had a lot of charisma, said a lot of great things, promised a lot of things, and we fell for it. And then the person is revealed to be something else, somebody else, a liar or a hypocrite or just a really flawed person who is mentally ill or delusional about himself or herself. In the case of Jesus, it looked like he was just another great leader who paid the price. He became a threat to the power structure, and they killed him. All those promises looked empty. When that happens, what do you do? Well, you hunker down. You complain. You kick the dog. You kick yourself for being so gullible. You get mad because you thought things were going to work out a particular way. And they didn't. Where do you go with that anger and doubt and confusion and fear? And in the middle of this, Jesus appears. He appears right in the middle of it and says, peace be with you. Did you get that? He didn't say, when you're no longer afraid, I'll show up. He entered the room while they were afraid. And he breathed on them. He breathed on his Holy Spirit into them. And it was a spirit of peace. Just as God did in Genesis, 
He didn't wait until there was no more darkness before his spirit moved. His spirit moved while the earth was covered in darkness. And then Jesus says to the one who doubted the most, there will be people who never actually see me, but I'm giving them my spirit just as I did you. Just as God's spirit moved over the darkness, scripture calls it a great wind across the void. And just as God breathed life into humanity in Genesis chapter 2, here is God in human form, breathing once again on the world, specifically in a room that was full of fear and doubt and anger and disappointment. And he calls it peace. Later in the book of John, when the disciples realized that everything had changed, but then again, it looked like nothing had changed, they decided to go back to work. Since some of them had been fishing before they had first encountered Jesus, they went back to that. And you can just sense their discouragement. The person they pinned everything on turned out to be different from what they were expecting. Then he gets killed, then he reappears, then he gives them his power, and then he goes away again. And you can just imagine his followers looking at each other after a while and go, what are you going to do? Like, I don't know. What are you going to do? I don't know. I guess I'll go back to work. So they go back to their routine. And they encounter Jesus again. He feeds them. And he says, follow me. Trust me. Love me. And one of them asks about the other raising some of those old comp competitive juices again. And Jesus says, mind your own business. You aren't going to know everything. You just aren't. Trust me. Love me. Follow me. Breathe me in. Well, the first person to see Jesus after his resurrection, the scripture tells us, is Mary. And what condition was she in? grieving and confused. Where have they taken him? She's walking around in circles. She's just lost. He calls her by her name. Now, do you see the timing? He doesn't wait until she stopped crying. He didn't wait until she had pulled herself together. It was in the middle of her grief and confusion and disappointment that he calls her by her name. And what about the guys who are having their theological debate on their way to Emmaus? Jesus joins them. They don't recognize him because they're too busy trying to explain everything, trying to figure it all out when they don't actually know anything. Isn't it funny how we, uh, how we sometimes get so wrapped up in our head games about God that we miss the fact that he has already joined us on the path and we don't even know it. And then when they show this stranger hospitality, they see who he is. Do you see the pattern? Somehow we get the notion that we have to get it all together, settle all of our doubts, get our, our theology airtight, dry our tears, pull up our certainty pants, feel something, 
and then God's Holy Spirit will come to us. That's not what we see in Scripture. The disciples were afraid, and the Spirit was revealed. The disciples were filled with doubt, and the Spirit was revealed. His followers were confused, and the Spirit was revealed. His followers were grieving, and the Spirit was revealed. They welcomed a stranger, and the Spirit was revealed. They went back to their routine, and the Spirit pursued them, told them to follow me, loving, trusting. And what of ourselves? Do we have encounters with the living God only when we feel something? Only when we are filled with certainty? You may have encounters with the living God during those times, but I don't think most of us actually live in times of certainty. More of us, I suspect, are somewhere on the spectrum of grief, confusion, fear, doubt, disappointment, and going back to our old ways of doing things. Some are like Mother Teresa, where they're in the dark night for their entire adult lives. Most of us, I think, are more like Jacob, wrestling with something much bigger than himself, wondering if we're going to get out of this alive. I know a lot of people who feel that they can't come to church because they're just too messed up. They have too many questions. The sin in their life has convinced them they're just, they're just not going to be welcome. They have too many doubts. They got hurt by the church a long time ago, and they haven't resolved all of their conflicts with it. In other words, people feel like they can't experience the living, breathing presence of God until they get it all worked out, get it all figured out, until they aren't confused or afraid or disappointed or angry or full of doubt. Because, of course, everyone who does go to church has already settled all the questions. Church is no place for those who are confused or afraid or sense the absence of God. Well, what about some of us who are just simply wondering if it could all be true? We have questions and doubts and fears that possess us and distract us from keeping us from loving and being loved. I have good news for you. The Spirit of God is here, being breathed on you and in you. Right now, just as it was over the darkness of the earth. Just as it was in that room full of fearful, doubting, disappointed, confused followers. And Jesus is saying, peace. Peace. Receive the Holy Spirit. It is here for you whether you feel it or not. Whether you see it or not, whether you know it or not. It might be the darkness over the earth or it might be the darkness of your own self. The Spirit of God is at work, moving, waiting to be breathed in. Earlier in John's Gospel, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. It's for the doubters. 
the fearful, the confused, the debaters, the angry, the ones who feel they have been abandoned. The day my, the morning that my dad died, just about four months ago, Marcia and I were with some friends at a cabin in Colorado. And there was, up in the mountains, there was no cell or internet service up there, which was part of the point of going. Um, we all had breakfast together and then made a plan for the day. And uh, the plan involved, we, we were going to need some, uh, a couple of things from a, a, a store in a local town. So the other guy and I drove uh, to the closest town and pulled into the, the store's parking lot. And as we pulled into that parking lot, my phone started buzzing, just filling with text messages and voicemails. And I looked at the first, the most recent text message. And it was from my sister-in-law, Jan. And the text said, your dad is gone. And I thought, well, how far could he have gotten? Have you seen him walk? He's really slow. And then I started reading through in opposite chronological order. I started reading through the rest of the messages that she had sent me. Said, they're taking your dad to the hospital. He's having trouble breathing, and so on and so on and so on. And then he was gone. My friend pulls the car into uh, a parking space. He could tell that I had gotten a bunch of messages on my phone, and he just goes, what's up? I turned to him and I said, my, my dad just died. We just sat there for a little while and in quiet, and he got out of the car. He said, I'll give you some, uh, I'll give you some space. And so I called, uh, I called my mom, and I called my kids, and I called my brother on the East Coast. We talked a number of things through, and, and then I got out of the car. And I realized after a few moments, I was walking in circles. It was as if the earth had tilted just a little bit, and I was disoriented. Loss affects even your sense of gravity. Keep in mind, this was not completely unexpected. He was 93 and in declining health. Let's pray. So I found my way to the front of the store, and in front of the store were these tables set up by Cub Scouts, and they were selling popcorn. And I was immediately engaged in a conversation with a Cub Scout. My dad had been a Cub Scout. He was a Boy Scout. And then he got my brothers and me interested in scouting. So here I am, listening to a sales pitch from a Cub Scout who could barely say his R's and his L's, trying to sell me his popcorn. And they were selling it in these giant barrels. I asked how much it was, and he said, $25 each. So I pulled out a $50 bill out of my pocket. It was the bill that my dad had given me the night before Marcia and I had left for Colorado. My dad had been reimbursing me for some stuff I had gotten him. And when he gave me that $50 bill at the time, I just thought, seriously, what am I going to do with a $50 bill? No, nobody takes a $50 bill. So... Frankly, I was a little annoyed with him. And then I saw the scout. And I thought, 
Now I know what to do with this $50 bill. So I handed over the money, and I took two barrels back to the car, and my friend came out of the store, and we were pretty quiet going back to the cabin. He had also lost his father a few years before while he was out of town, and he knew that uh, silence was probably best. We got back to the cabin, and I told Marcia, and then we all just sat there for a while. One of our friends then, after several minutes, went over to the stereo, thought the music would be a good idea. And the, uh, the first song that came up on Spotify was Neil Young's Old Man, Take a Look at My Life. I'm a lot like you. Yeah, coincidences. I get it. Sure. Or maybe the spirit was at work. In the loss of my father and the disorientation that came along with it, I felt breathed on by my heavenly father who was saying, I will never leave you or forsake you. Let not your heart be troubled. I have been waking, making a way for you this entire time. See me in the covenant. See me in your friends. See me in that $50 bill. See me in your confusion. See me in Spotify. See me even in your loss, your grief, your doubt, your confusion, my peace I give to you. I sensed that God was saying, see me everywhere, even in your loss. You know, one of the big differences between Christmas and Easter is that at Christmas, you have the presence of God in the form of Jesus. The anticipation, the expectation, the arrival, the God with us incarnation. Jesus is among us. And Easter is the absence of all of that. Jesus disappeared. We think he's died. We think we've fallen for this colossal cosmic hoax. We go back to our being fearful and doubting and grieving in competitive self. And then he appears in the middle of this routine. And as we walk around the parking lot, confused, or around the empty tomb, or we sit in a doctor's office, or we huddle in our rooms full of fear and full of speculation, full of rumors, as we go back to the same old grind, he appears and he breathes his Holy Spirit. And he tells us he will never leave us or forsake us. And that he is not only fully present in the now, but he's also going before us, preparing a way. It's a different kind of presence. We may not see it or feel it in that traditional sense, but we see it in one another. We see it in the Cub Scouts. We see it in those thin spaces between heaven and earth. We see it when we welcome the stranger and when we gather together. Even when we doubt that breath of God has been with us since creation began. And we get to experience it again and again and again. So here's how I would like to close. Well, it, let's, Cap, why don't you, you and the band come on up. And the rest of you, if you would just bow your heads for a moment. And here's how I want you to maybe center your, uh, center your thoughts.
think about what you're afraid of. <clears throat> Maybe you're afraid of a physical deterioration. Maybe it's an uncertain job situation, an unresolved conflict, a loved one who is in trouble and you see no good outcome, a secret you have been carrying that you know you can't ever shed, a loss followed by inconsolable grief. Maybe it's deeper than that. Maybe you wonder if this whole story about Jesus could possibly be true. You're afraid to admit you're a world-class doubter. All you have known has been the absence of God. Picture yourself in that room with Jesus' followers and feel the tension in that room. And then picture Jesus appearing, telling the doubters it's okay to doubt, telling the fearful that he will never leave them or forsake them, telling those who carry personal darkness that his spirit is moving across that darkness and that he is bringing peace. Picture him breathing that Holy Spirit on you and in you and telling you, follow me, love me, trust me. It is the breath of God and the breath of peace. Take a deep breath. Peace be with you. Let me
Thank you, Dean. Thank you, Dan. Holy Spirit's in this place. How blessed we are. So in the midst of our hope and expectation, in the midst of our confusion, in the midst of our understanding and in the midst of our lack of understanding, in the midst of our great doubt, may God's peace be with us. May God's spirit guide us. May somehow our faith carry us into whatever this day may might hold for us because it's God at work in us and through us. So go and God's peace. Have a blessed day.